I never had hallucination like that. I hallucinated before, but there was like one tree that looked like a bear or something like that. Yeah, it was like a totally different universe. I was running in a different universe and I wasn't there. It was like, the only thing I could think of, like I was in Alice in Wonderland. I went through the hole and I entered a totally different universe. Hey guys, welcome to the show. A quick preamble before the actual intro. So an intro intro. I recorded this about Annette at 5 in the morning because it was the only time that I could get it done. And as I was editing it, realized that I sound like the most monotone, boring human alive. And if this is your first episode, this is not the tone of the podcast in general. This is just the next three minutes of your life. But Annette is amazing. Her energy is great. All of our guests have great energy. Most of the time, I don't sound quite so shitty. And I just needed you to know that. Okay, bye. Hello, and welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast. I have a great one for you today, Aneta. So her nickname is Nettie. She grew up in Poland, but she's been living in the U.S. since 1999. She's been involved in trail running for about 10 years, and most recently, she finished a 200-mile race. Um, She's also done 1,500-mile races, including Hurt 100 in Hawaii, which is my dream race, which is amazing. Um... But she, I found her because she wrote a blog on the 200 mile race and I find sometimes the race recaps don't really give you a good feeling of what it was like, but she captures your attention so well. Um, And she's obviously loved in the community, the amount of people that have reached out to congratulate her and even wish her a happy birthday. Like you can just tell she's doing a lot for people and she was a total pleasure to chat with. Um, She also chatted about perimenopause and how it affects women, but kind of remains a taboo topic. So that was really good to just try to have that conversation Um, and how she wasn't really warned about how it would make her feel and it affected her physically and mentally. And um, eventually she still went out and did this 200 mile race. So the 200 mile race that she did, I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to try. So I need you to not make fun of me. Patawatami 200. I just want to say the potato whammy, but it was a total grind and it was laps, which to me sounds additionally difficult mentally. Um, There was so much rain. There was so much mud. She had these crazy hallucinations, but she got through it and she actually ended up winning the race for females, which is um, such a rad bonus given how hard she worked. She's just really fun and inspiring. So you guys are going to love her. I want to say a huge thanks to everybody who is supporting the show on Patreon. You can find that link in my Instagram profile at hillsport55. Um, That's just a really awesome thing to do so that we can keep hearing from these badass ladies and and keep it going. Um, I have some strength workouts that I put up there. I do do a couple of bonus episodes. Um, one just, or actually I might do this more often, just kind of pre-release stuff. I definitely am not going to toot a torn too much because it's, um, it's not like this amazing thing with content every day, but it's just sort of fun. If you're on Patreon or you sign up there and it's like $2 a month is the lowest one. Um, and you want to just offer ideas for like a solo cast or a hilarious bonus episode, just let me know and we'll try to come up with that. It's the ideas. That's the hard part. So tell me what you would like to do. Everybody, oh no, I don't want to read a review because the people that are leaving reviews in Apple just makes me so happy. Thank you so much. Um, So there are two recent ones that I want to read. First is from Reader Feeder 123. Great podcast. Every episode has something new. It definitely keeps me interested and wanting more. Thank you. That's amazing. 
Um, and then I can't remember if I read Magdalena's or not, but I'm going to read it again. I can't say enough good things about this podcast. It's engaging, thought-provoking, relatable, and easy to listen to and inspiring. You guys, that is so nice to say. So amazing. I cannot thank you enough for doing those things. And we have a new sponsor today to tell you guys about. I am so stoked to be working with Athletic Brewing. I feel like you guys have probably heard of them. Um, They're really for craft beer lovers at heart. Athletic Brewing brews delicious craft beer that just happens to be non-alcoholic. Athletic Brewing founders Bill and John are craft beer lovers who wanted to cut back on alcohol without compromising flavors. But the interesting flavors that they loved in other craft beers just weren't available in non-alcoholic beer. Oh my gosh, I can relate to that. If you have ever gone to the liquor store and looked through and been like, there's nothing here. um, Yep, that's happened to me. So they brewed a beer that they wanted to drink. It turns out that there are a lot of people looking to moderate and abstain that are still thirsty for great beer. Athletic Brewing is a hit with those people. So yeah, 100%. I don't know if I've talked about this that much on the podcast yet, but um, alcohol is something that was just really big in my generation and people realize that it just makes you feel like shit. So I way prefer being able to get up at five, feel great and go for a jog. Um, But I still want to have that post-run beer. And this has solved a lot of issues. So I have a discount code for you guys. Use TRAILRUNNINGWOMEN15. So you have to write it all out for this one. But if you go to www.athleticbrewing.com, you're going to get free shipping on two six-packs or more and 15% off by using TRAILRUNNINGWOMEN15 um, as the code at checkout at athleticbrewing.com. Um, the cool thing is that they do ship to Canada and they do ship to the U.S., So if you are in North America with me, you can get this. Uh, I will link to all of that in the show notes as well. Okay, that's it. Here is Aneta. I'm so excited to be here with Aneta today, who's fresh off a 200-mile race. I found you on Facebook because I think that blog you did about that race really caught a lot of traction. There's so many pieces that I want to get into Um, that race with you and I think they transfer into trail running in general and I don't think that I have seen so much love for a post in forever so you're obviously huge in the community people really seem to love what you're doing and I know you're heavily involved um, so much so that Lululemon gave you free swag so you're obviously doing something right and I'm so excited to hear about it so thank you for joining me Anetta. Oh thank you for having me that was quite an introduction thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was like, I was saying just before the show, I was trying to find your blog again on the 200 mile and like the amount of people who are just reaching out to you for your birthday and for various things is amazing. So I love seeing that. And because the trail running community is such a special community, right? It's so different from anything. So it's, it's so fun when you find people that are so impactful in it. Thank you. Yeah, I was very overwhelmed with all the love and support I received after the race. It was really, I mean, it was really overwhelming and I'm really grateful for it. It was amazing. Yeah, totally. I can imagine. So let's, before we get into your race, that was, we were just saying it was just about three weeks ago now. Uh, Why don't you give us an introductory um, kind of spiel on if you were a runner as a kid and how you found running and uh, where you're from? Um, So as you can probably hear, I didn't grow (laughs) up in Ohio. Uh, I grew up in Poland, um, and I came to the U.S. in 1999 and lived in California in Washington, D.C. for a while, and then we relocated to the Dayton area in Ohio. 
Uh, growing up in Poland, I never really showed any amazing athletic talent. I was, um, you know, we didn't have the amount of sports that are here in the U.S. So if you, there were no tr- cross-country or track teams, and unless you shown something, some potential that you can score points and maybe go to championships, um, then you really didn't turn on the heads and you didn't really bring any attention. So I was never one of those children that shown any promise. So I wasn't super athletic growing up. I do, however, my parents were obsessed. It sounds weird, but looking back, my parents were obsessed with walking. We walked everywhere. We lived in the city and my mom refused to take a bus. And so we would walk to grandma's house like six miles when I was, um, you know, a young child. And of course, like people in the U.S. think, oh, my God, how could you do it? You, did you walk on the side of the um, highway? You know, it's very pedestrian friendly. There are sidewalks everywhere. There was no child abuse or anything like that <laughs> involved in it. But I, I was um, I did some. Mountain climbing, when I was in college, I went to Tatra Mountains with friends every summer. We through hiked and climbed. And um, I did a lot of hiking, but I didn't really, I wasn't really running. I was not super athletic. I started running. I ran a little bit when I came to the U.S. My husband was a runner, so we did run together. I ran in California some. Then I moved to Ohio, and I was just like, we moved here in January and it was cold and um, I can't run here. The sidewalks are not clean. And, uh, it's too cold and uh, it's not friendly enough to, you know, run on the road. So I stopped and then I started running again when I had my daughter in 2006. Um, I met a group of moms through Moms Club and they were running. Um, so they kind of got me involved in it. I started kind of really running very little at first, just through my subdivision. And then I did Air Force half marathon and then a marathon. And then I kind of moved over to ultras, um, you know, by the time my daughter was in elementary school. So how old were you then when you started doing ultras? I did my first ultra in 2014 and I was 42 years old. Okay. I think that's just important to yeah. And I mean, late, but not, not really like, look at the stuff that you've done now. I think there's so many people that seem to be like, Oh, I wish I could do that, but I'm in my forties. I can't start now. So I think it's so important for people to see stories like yours to realize that you can start at any age. Yeah. Um, so your daughter goes to elementary school and you decide to get into the ultras. What was it about going farther than a marathon that made you want to jump into an ultra? Well, so when I started doing marathons, I did a few of them. I didn't do that many before I started getting injured. So I had uh, issues with my calf and in my foot. And I just felt like I was setting some time goals for myself and things would not work out well. I, um, you know, the weather was bad and I couldn't meet my time goal. And it was just frustrating. I just felt that I work hard and I just can't get it and I keep getting injured and like the universe is conspiring against me. And then my friend said, why don't you run a 50K? 
because nobody cares how fast you run and nobody cares if you qualified for Boston. Like, just do it. So at first I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, it's really long. I might as well go to work for the whole day. Um, <laughs> you know, because like you're going through like from like, you know, around like 350 something marathon to like, you know, looking possibly into seven, eight hours. I was like, oh, I don't know. But she talked me into it and I signed up and I loved it. It was just amazing. It was the atmosphere was like, no, like she said, nobody really cared what my time was. And, and I loved that about it. And it was a different vibe to it. And I, you know, I still occasionally run on the road and I, I think there's nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't for me, just my body was was getting beaten up on it and it was frustrating and I felt inadequate, not talented, you know, not good enough. And then I moved to ultras and I discover over time that actually the longer I go, the better I get. Yeah. So you kind of yeah. tend to stick to things that you are better at. Uh, you know, I was never good at 5Ks, but I found out that when I go to 100 miles, I actually don't do too horribly bad. So... That's what I started doing. So you ran your first ultra. And then I saw that um, since then you have run 1,500 mile mm -hmm. races, yeah. which is amazing. So you're absolutely right. Like your body clearly thrives on long distances, um, including Hurt 100 in Hawaii, which is my dream race. So if you have any hints on how you got into that, please let me know. Um, yeah. So tell us some of the highlights of running 1,500 miles. Like, how did you, you were older than 42, obviously, when you started doing this, how did you learn how to train for distances of that? Well, so when I, when I did my first 50K, it was 2014, uh, and I had very close um, friends who were doing it. My, um, my girlfriends were, um, they were ahead of me. They did my first hundreds already. And so they tried to talk me into, hey, Nelly, you just did your uh, first 50k why don't you do 50 miles let's all go to jfk and run that um so i did that the following year and while training for jfk i went to a 12 hour run and i ran actually more than 50 miles at that 12 hour run so then my friends were saying hey you know you run like 58 miles at 12 hours then you run jfk you are trained for 100 miles why don't you go <laughs> and one of my friends, Mary O'Donoghue, was telling me that her biggest regret was that she didn't keep going, that she, kind of like it progresses. And, you know, she said, you're almost there. So just take a few months and keep training for 100 because you are in, you know, in shape for it. So I remember it was very overwhelming. It was 2016 and it was the deep day, uh, February 29th. And I talked to Mary and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> so I signed up for my first 100 that day on February 29th, 2016. I was about to turn 44 and I signed up for Burning River and that was my first 100. And I really didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I only ran ultras for like less than two years. And um, I didn't know how my body would respond to lack of sleep, if I can train, if I can take the volume. I was looking at some people who were, uh, you know, running like 100 mile weeks and I just, there's no way I knew I could not do that. Um, so my close friend, Sarah Scozaro, she's a 
running coach. So she coached me for my first 100. And that was very helpful to kind of navigate those things, to not do too much. And to kind of, she was more like my psychologist, really, telling me that I, I can do it and and giving me tips and uh, telling me, hey, you don't need to run 100 mile weeks. You can, you know, you can still do well if you do a quality workouts and quality runs. And even if they not, if it's not the volume. Um, so I went, uh, I did Burning River. My best friend paced me for 50 miles. Um, took me, I think, 27 hours, something to run it. And I actually... I mean, I felt tired and exhausted, and but I felt really happy, and I I loved it. I wasn't coming out of it saying, "Oh, I, I never want to do it again." I just felt like I need to recover, but I want to do it again because it was kind of kind of cool, like those uh, peaks and valleys that you go through, kind of like in your life, like how you dig out and like how you fig- um, troubleshoot and figure out what works and how you make mistakes and recover. I kind of love that part of, of running 100 miles. I was, I was hooked after my first one. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I think even in the like the first time you do 50 miles or something and yeah, afterwards you have this realization like, whoa, that was, like you said, such a parallel to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of like you don't quit, right? When things get hard in life, you don't quit. So yeah. I apply that to my racing. When I get Do overwhelmed you... and I get upset, but I don't quit. So like same when I run an ultra, I, you can't quit on life. You can't quit in running. You just keep going. You just solve it, figure it out, think about it and and pass so, it out sometimes and go. Well, that's, so what if you were in like the worst part of a race where you're like, things are so hard, how do you get out? What is your plan? Well, so... What I usually think, and I had a lot of things that went really wrong, I uh, allow myself to have a little pity party for for me and acknowledge it. It's hard because it is hard. Um, I try to feel grateful and I try to appreciate that I am in really in a controlled situation. Um, what I'm doing is nothing what people are dealing with in everyday life. Uh, I have aid station every five miles. Someone is going to come and help me. I will have, you know, nutrition, fluids and band-aids for my blisters. And I have my drop bag there with a fresh shirt and anti-chafing cream. So I have all the tools to fix what's wrong. Um, And usually whatever goes wrong, it's fixable. It's not, you know, blisters are fixable. Um, uh, chafing is fixable. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but it's fixable. I just, I never thought there was the reason to quit. I felt like you have to, you have to find a way, find a solution. Sometimes you have to alter your gait and it does hurt, but I never thought there was reason enough to quit. And I sometimes think about my grandmother and the things she went through in her life. And what mm. I am doing is really nothing you know, comparing to, uh, you know, some of the life experiences other people have or some um, something that people go through, like in the, in different parts of the world and it's their everyday life and they're not safe and there's nobody coming to save them. And what I'm doing is really a privilege. Um, yeah, it's a I think that's, I mean, it's that's such punishment. an important part. 
So I, I try to appreciate that. That I mean, it sounds bad, but in the end, it's just running. Um, and I try to be grateful for my body to allow me to do that, and and for my legs to be strong, and you know, for not betraying me, but empowering me and and help me propel forward. And I try to listen to my body, and I feel like we can negotiate. It sounds weird, but I negotiate with my legs, and I guess negotiate with my my feet, and. And I try to give them what they want if they let me keep going. <laughs> it sounds weird, <laughs> I know, but it's kind of that. that no, you thing. all need those little tricks, right? Yeah, those little tricks that. Uh, but I'm coming from the point of uh, not a toxic positivity. I don't believe in that. I just I can't go and say, "Oh my God, it's so amazing," because it's not going to work for me. I have to acknowledge, like, I allow myself like a thirty-second pity party, and kind of like a sarcastic. <laughs> tone of that sucks but then I move from it and say I am really just incredibly lucky to be able to do that to have the financial resources to go to those amazing places support from my family and being able to do it and like there are so many people that are helping me achieve that goal I'm not going by myself I have all the volunteers at aid station are people cheering for me and it's just overwhelming when you think about it, how many people are rooting for you and that usually, uh, and, and how great support system you have and, and the ability to do it. So that feels, um, that feels amazing. Yeah, I think what you said, there's so many points there, just like realizing, well, the word you used was privilege. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's such an important part. And I, we have a another episode we do with the co-host where she talks about like the race is the celebration and same type of thing, like realizing how lucky we are to be out mm -hmm. there. Yeah. So I really want to get into this 200 mile race that you did. Mm -hmm. And I, I found your blog, as I'm sure many people did, um, mm -hmm. really impactful. So I, can I read a, a paragraph of it and then yeah, we chat about it? Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about... Um, signing up for a 200 mile race. And you said sometime in December, I registered sometime in December. I was also going through one of the lowest spots in my life. I have a history of trauma and depression. And there were many times when the bandaid I carefully placed over my wounds gets pulled off, revealing all the ugly underneath. And then you go on to say, throw in a pandemic and perimenopause. This is a dangerous cocktail. I started having very painful periods and insane cramping that even my doll wouldn't touch. Um, and then you say, even running became a chore. It felt meaningless. So talk us through, I mean, that's so loaded and I think so common. And I, I find it very curious that running felt like a chore, but at the same time, obviously having this race on the horizon might be like pulling you out of this mm -hmm. depression. So, so what were you hoping to get from this 200 mile race? And, and did you feel like that maybe was a bandaid too, or were you able to navigate not having it just cover up what you were feeling. So, yeah, it also felt like a band-aid because you're trying to get dig out from, you know, that low state and you're kind of like, what, what can I do? And initially it was also a band-aid because I felt I need like a big goal. I need to go. So when I, I like to run without crew and pacer and I like to run by myself. 
I like to run with other people too, but I also like to run by myself in those long ultras. And it's also kind of like a moving meditation for me. There's a purpose to it, but also there is processing of the things I've been and things that happened to me. And I always feel that what I'm going in at that point in running is not the worst point in my life, that I've been through wars. And it's weird, but it's very healing at the same time. Um, so I was kind of looking forward to it. I was looking forward to kind of strip all the layers and see who I am like deep down. If pandemic like really altered me, maybe I can't run anymore. Maybe I'm just too down and maybe emotions will like come up and suffocate me on the second day of this 200 miles. Maybe I won't be able to cope. I don't know. But I wanted to go and try and kind of see who I am now versus who I was a year ago. I don't know if it even makes sense, but um, but that that's what it was. And um, yeah, I just uh, it was a band-aid in the beginning, but then I started feeling better in March, so it was actually ended up being kind of a celebration. That's a really cool way of thinking it, that like, this is totally going to strip you down and find out exactly what's going on at the core. So you start training, you start feeling better, more joyful, which is great. And I think that is such a parallel as well. Like we talked about when you're in these lows, maybe it's important to just know that like there will be mm-hmm. a good, you will feel good again. Um, but your race was coming up pretty quick. That's yes. I mean, you're feeling good and the race is in a month. So yeah. How did you how did you train for this? Did you have a coach for this as well? No, I don't have I uh, I don't I don't have a coach anymore. I uh, I mean I loved my coach Sarah. It just like later I wanted to do it by myself. Just kind of good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my decision. Um, so I didn't train really well, honestly, because the whole winter I was just in that brain fog and feeling like my life is over, not quite, I mean, not to be like super dramatic, but I'm feeling like, okay, I'll be 49 this year, I'll be 50 soon, and kind of decisions I made in my life, like my life is shaped, that's who I am, I'm not all of a sudden going to do something totally different in my life, because I am, I am who I am now, I can alter it to an extent, but I'm not going to like shape totally different future for myself. Uh, and it was kind of heavy on my mind, it kind of like that midlife crisis, maybe. And then I read more about it, and I read that perimenopause does that to you, like puts that heavy brain fog on you, and we don't really talk about it. And, you know, I got my hormones checked, and I had extremely low testosterone level that also can, like, trigger some depression. Hmm. Uh, I think so. Um, I had some answers to it so that kind of uh helped me i don't know it didn't fix it but i kind of knew what was going on so sometimes it's easier to move on when you know what's going on but yeah. i don't know it was too late to really like get so excited and throw big runs in um so going to the trace i knew that I was under trade but I also knew that my strength in every hundred I've done was my mental game and the ability to like turn off my brain, focus on running, and don't think about 
anything else, but being that micro-universe, that utopian universe for like X amount of hours. Um, so I focus on race execution. And I knew if I execute well, I have a shot at finishing. And I, you know, obsessed over like pace charts and where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. So I knew going in, I've done some hard hundreds that took me a really long time. So because of that, I knew I could be awake for 48 hours. And I knew I could climb 30,000 feet because I've done it in another race. And that was the elevation gain for um, Potawatomi. And everything besides that was an unknown. And I didn't know what's going to happen after 48 hours. And I didn't know if my body, that was three on the train, can take being um, pushed for, you know, close to 72 hours. I didn't know if I, will not, if I can run for 72 hours with minimum speed sleep because I knew the race I was doing allows only three days to finish. Like a lot of 200 miles allow four to five. So I knew that my sleep will be minimum. And um, so I didn't know. I didn't know if I could do it or not, but I knew I could try and could draw on my experience and I could draw, uh, draw from my mental strength and use some mental games to help me get there and I knew I had to ask for help. So I asked my friends um, to come and help me finish on the third day. So come on Saturday when I will be 48 hours into the race. Because I didn't know if I would be hallucinating like crazy, not even know where I am. So I thought it would be safe to have somebody else uh, run the final, final miles with me. So uh, that was very helpful. But uh, with this race, because of the mental state I was in and because of the pandemic, I would I say I've trained better mentally for it because you can kind of mentally prepare yourself in a month and a half. It's kind of hard to get in a 200-mile shape in mile and a month and a half. Um, so I think I'm proud of this race mostly about because I stayed focused and I stayed on task and I was mentally strong. So, so 200 miles is a long way. I want to focus on that for just a second. Like for people who have run 50 miles, you know what it's like when you get to like 35 miles and realize how much farther you still have to go. And you have to break it down in your brain to get that distance. So the thought of a hundred miles for a lot of people is like, oh my God, I don't know if I could do it. What is it like to get to a hundred miles and realize that you have to do another hundred miles? And how do you break that down mentally into something that you can actually handle? So the race I did was run on 10 mile loop and you run 20, 10 mile loops. So I try not to think about how long the loop was. I just counted loops. So I was counting like, okay, this is my loop one, loop two, loop 12. And I had the goal to do my 10 loops without thinking it's 100 miles, like 10 loops in about 30 hours, 15 loops in 48 hours. And then, um, you know, the last, last six hours for my last loop. So I try not to think about the distance. I try to think about running on the loop and the loop. 
sounds weird, but if the loop can be like two miles, right? <laughs> you don't know how long the loop is. So you're kind of tricking your brain into... And I do that in 100 miles too. I don't think I have to go seven miles to eight station. I think I have three eight stations to the drop back. So I don't think I have 30 miles to my next drop back. I think I have three eight stations to the drop back. And I try not to think about the distance that I have to cover. So I go to like drop back to drop back. Um, and I did, so my 200, I did loop, loop after loop after loop. And I had the, the goal, how I'm going to run. So I wanted to run my first loop no faster than about two hours and 30 minutes because I don't want to get like burned out and run too fast. Then I wanted to run around three, three and a half hour loops consistently. And that worked fairly well for, for a while, but then the bad weather moved in and we had torrential downpours and, and the trails got really muddy. So kind of my plan went, went sideways, but um, yeah, that's what I was focusing on. I try not to think about the distance. I try not to think, oh my God, I ran 140 miles now. I just... I just thought I ran 14 loops and I have six loops left. Yeah. I think that's um, so important for any race. Just break it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just tried to think about, and then having said that towards the end, when I had that 50 K to go, I felt I can do a 50 K that seemed like very doable at this point. Uh, like three loops. And I had my friends for the last 50 miles. So that was, way easier like to have someone you know navigate and look for trail marking and uh, <laughs> that was a blessing that was amazing to have somebody finish with you the last um you know 50 miles that was very helpful of course yeah so we were talking a bit before the show of like the fatigue that you were mm-hmm. feeling afterwards um and saying like kind of like when you have a newborn and you're just so tired that you almost mm-hmm. can't function um so let's talk about how that started to feel in the race on your second night and the hallucinations that you had. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought they were pretty interesting as far as feeling talking to somebody in a shoe box and then realizing you were the shoe box yeah. person and the raccoons. So tell us all about it. So I was surprised because I thought I would be pretty much okay for the 48 hours, but the, I started feeling really tired about. 36, 37 hours in, which was kind of scary because that wasn't part of my plan. So I remember it was the second night I was running through the meadow section and there was a person in a shoebox running next to me and she kind of looked like, you know, those kids' um, school pictures, you know, the school pictures, like uh, just the torso up, uh, that's what was sticking out of the shoebox. And I remember she had dark hair and glasses. And I asked her, where's your friend? And she answered, oh, I'm here by myself. And I said, well, I am by myself too. And she said, oh, my friend is coming on Saturday at uh, at two o'clock. And I'm like, well, my friend is coming on Saturday too. And then I realized I'm talking to myself and I am the person in the box. And it's, it's me when I had dark hair before I dyed my hair. It was just like, it was weird. I don't know. It just, it sounds so insane, but really I was kind of like having, and then I realized I'm actually like sleeping. I'm like sleep running through that meadow that I was like falling asleep and waking up every, I don't know, 10 seconds, five seconds, three seconds. You know what I mean? Like you close your eyes and you fall asleep and then you wake up. So that was really a dream. 
that I, that I had while I was running. So I wasn't fully awake because then I opened my eyes and I was like, oh my God, did I get lost? Am I still on the trail? But I was still in that meadow. So that wasn't a really long time. There was maybe 30, I don't know how long, but I was actually dreaming and running and wow. sleeping and running. Um, so after that, when I finished that loop, I said, like, okay, that's nuts. I need to take a nap. So I, uh, <laughs> I you know, it put out, tell me you can set up a tent, but I chose not to because I was by myself and I like my friends were coming on Saturday but I was sure they would come but then things can happen so I didn't know you know there could be an emergency um so I, I felt it would be easier if I run it out of my car and then I can sleep in, the, in my car I don't have to tear anything down like if I'm by myself I can just like pack and go it's way safer so I went into my car I reclined my seat and I took, a, I don't know why, I decided to take a 12-minute nap. Um, so I did that and I felt quite better. Uh, so I started running again and I got to next aid station and I still felt really tired. Yeah, so, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So I got there and the volunteer was there and he was wonderful. I don't remember his name. I should because he helped me so many times and he knew what I wanted and he was there for 48 hours. But I got there and I asked him, like, can I take like a quick nap in your chair? I said, I know it's, a, it's COVID and it's a weird time, but can I sit in your chair and like take a nap? And he said, yes. So he gave me his, you know, lawn chair and he said, how long do you want to sleep? And I said, seven minutes. And I don't know why I was coming up with those numbers. I just... I was just going to say, what's the me. significance of 12 and 7? I don't know. I don't... I mean, I did like a test nap before going to Potawatomi. And like, I figured out if I slept for 20 minutes, I was stiff. But if I slept shorter, I wasn't stiff. But I don't know why 7 and 12. I, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't know why, why I chose that number. So he was very sweet. He set the timer for seven minutes and I slept in his chair. He woke me up and I kept going. And I was way better then for a while. But I also was going and it almost was like an Alice in Wonderland. It's you know. So when I I was good in the meadows and I was good in those open, kind of more open sections. But once I went in the woods, when I entered the woods, there were like all the things that weren't there. And I realized they weren't there. I I, I knew that. But I wanted to see what was there, which were trail marking, and I couldn't see them. I, I saw like raccoons sitting on the tree log playing guitars, and I saw an elevator carved in the hill going up, and there was like the theater on the top, and there was, they were playing musical, and it was lit, and people were sitting there, you know. But I know, I mean, I, I knew I was, you know, in Illinois, and there was no elevator carved into the hill. I wanted to see where the trail was and I couldn't see it. It was so frustrating. So when I, so I would like literally run with my hand extended. And then when I saw the trail marking, I would touch it just to make it real. Like, so I'm not hallucinating because my, my fear was that I will hallucinate and I will see other trail markings and I will get off the trail and start running somewhere totally different or like change directions or go, you know, wrong way, venture out of the park. I just didn't know. I remember at some point I was running and I saw that big fallen tree log and I saw a family of deer that was sitting there with their um, hind legs crossed and they had tea mugs uh, that were shaped like little human heads 
and one of the um, tea mugs had the nose chipped off, kind of like those, you know, Roman old um, statues from, you know, ancient times. Like the p- part of it was chipped off, and I was like, oh, that's bizarre. I didn't think the deers were bizarre. I felt the mug that was chipped was bizarre, so... I was kind of like in a different world. I kind of knew it wasn't, it wasn't real, but it was it was just, I never had hallucination like that. I hallucinated before, but there was like one tree that looked like a bear or something like that. Yeah, it was like a totally different universe. I was running in a different universe and it wasn't there. It was like, the only thing I could think of, like I was in Alice in Wonderland. I went through the hall and I entered a totally different universe and I had to like, you know, get it out of my head and I had to focus on what was there and like push it out of my mind, which was a lot of work. It was hard. I was just going to say, that sounds exhausting. Like you do such a good job in your blog again of describing like being so into these hallucinations that you have to reach out and touch the trail markers to believe that they're actually there. And I can totally relate to that kind of feeling of being, and not, not from running, just Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. I've been yeah, because like, you have a baby, so you were like, yeah, oh, a little sleep yes, for days like, and days, <laughs> and trying to be like, okay, I don't need to trust this, but I somehow can't see a difference. So it's so interesting that you were able to just kind of put yourself back into that situation. Um, and I do. I know you mentioned too in our in our email, and I want to talk a bit more about it. Um, you also got really bad menstrual cramps during mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you mentioned quickly that there's not a lot of conversation around, um, perimenopause and what mm-hmm. that involves and what that feels like. Do you have any thoughts on why it's not talked about or the things that we can do to kind of make it easier? Yeah. I just feel like with, maybe because we're admitting, you know, we're old, I mean, yeah. old, I don't feel really old, but you know what I'm saying? Like, cause I feel I was talking to my husband about it with, would tell I was told what to expect when I got my first period I was told what to expect when I was pregnant and what will be after pregnancy everybody talks about it you know what's gonna happen you know uh, with uh, periods with cramping Uh, you know it going in because your mom talks to you about it Uh, you know when you have a baby everybody tells you oh when you have a baby that's what's gonna be like after but nobody really talks to you about perimenopause. I mean, I really thought for a long time that like at some point my period will stop and that's what it will be, you know. And I have, I had zero symptoms, like my period's super regular. And I, for a long time, I couldn't even pinpoint what was going, what was wrong with me. Um, and then somebody said, that's perimenopause. Because I started having about a year ago. I started feeling really tired and I started having periods like I had when I was a teenager, like extremely painful and extremely heavy. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, that's something I did when I was in high school. (laughs) That should be over. Like, you know, why am I like, I should know how to handle my periods when I'm like in my late forties. But yeah, it's just like, I mean, it's changing a little bit now, but we really don't talk about it I don't know why I think the only thing I can think it's because we don't want to admit that we're getting old is that stigma of getting older like it's not really you know I don't know I don't really know and it also doesn't mean that you like 
supposed to sit in the chair and do nothing. But you should know what to expect so you can, because there are ways to overcome it and there are ways to fix it. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be slow and you can't do anything. I mean, I'm, I've been running through it for, you know, it started when I was 47 and I, you know, I did a bunch of races with heavy periods and, and feeling kind of in brain fog. But I wish I knew before what was triggering it because um, I think that would be helpful. And, you know, I reached out to other women and I started talking to them and who went through it before me. So I got some more, more information. So I feel more uh, ready now, but before, yeah, I just thought I would just have everything. Life will be like normal. And then at some point my period will stop. And when they stopped for six months, I'll be done. And none of this was happening. So I, Thought I was still fine. I have no symptoms. I never had like hot flashes or anything like that. Never had that. I don't have anything. And um, the only thing I had was like very severe, painful menstrual cramping that, you know, I would take Milo and it did nothing. Like nothing. It was still, it was still painful. So it was hard yeah, to run you... with it. <laughs> no kidding. Like, and that I feel like just makes any nausea even so much worse um, yes mm-hmm. yeah, it, I was, yeah like yeah, it, i was also nauseous and it was just like i felt really crabby and uh and i had to like alter my almost like you know when you have a baby right you like the breathing between contractions so that's what i was doing when i was cramping i was like okay i can breathe in between and that should help and it did help because i knew whatever i I mean, I took Milo and didn't do anything. I knew you would not, but you always like, oh, maybe it's different. I've never run 200 miles. Maybe I, if I take it now, maybe it'll work. <laughs> but it didn't. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you're mm-hmm. right. Like, there's nothing to be like, oh, yeah, we can just do this. But if you know, like you said, like you're not just in your head wondering what's wrong with you. So maybe it's just having conversations like these and other women will hear it and then they'll talk about it and it's just simply talking about it more often. Yeah, I think that helps that you are not alone and other people are going through it. And like, uh, you know, because when I, like people talk to me about, because what happened to me, I don't think it was depression so much. It was like kind of hu- uh, hormone related with perimenopause. I mean, like there were things that were going on too with the pandemic, you know, that's hard on everyone. But I didn't know that perimenopause can cause that kind of like that really low feelings uh, that, mm-hmm. that affects you too, because nobody ever told me that it caused. I mean, you know, like it was just, and I never knew that like, I didn't know that my period's going to go crazy painful when I'm in my, you know, mid, late forties. Nobody told me that. So. Yeah. And I think the fact of women's hormones on mental like our, our mental outlook, um, isn't, is until recently has been kind of ignored anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. you're just supposed to like grin and bear PMS and not yeah. react negatively. Yeah, exactly. And- you're just kind of like, it's part of you, who you are. And like, that's part of your biology and you go with it. And like I said, like with the only, like I was like, Oh, menopause that's in the fifties. I'm not 50 yet. I don't have any hot flashes. Like that's not it. Like there's, yeah. so I don't know that the process starts in your 40s and kind of like, you know, takes longer time. It's not like magically all of a sudden I'm going to start having hot flashes and 
when my period will stop. It's just there is so much more going in my body for like, you know, six, five, whatever years before that process will start. So that was, like, I mean, I started reading about it and I talked to my uh, my doctor about it. So uh, I feel now like I know what's going on and I know what it is, you know. And I know it's not all of a sudden I like, have some weird cancer that's causing, you know, because it scares you. Like, what's going on with my body? Why is it acting this way? Do I want to get tested for, you know, like maybe I don't want to know if I have cancer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I just, it's just like your mind is just weird. It's just like scary. I don't know. And I didn't have so much anger because I know it, sometimes it can cause anger and frustration and it can manifest itself this way. Mine was just like, I suck and everything sucks. <laughs> you know, like, ah, oh, you know. <laughs> so I was yeah. just feeling really down. And it's hard to pull yourself out of mm-hmm. those. It's hard to pull yourself out, out of it. Well, I appreciate you being so open about it, even for just the people that I know that listen that are kind of around that age and just normalizing this. Um and I want to get back to your race just for a second because yeah. you ran for 70 hours and yeah. 37 minutes, which is absolutely insane. You were the first and only female finisher that day and the second female to ever finish the race. Mm-hmm. That is unreal. Um, first, congratulations. And okay. second, did you have any idea that you were going to win and that women notoriously did not finish this race? So I knew there was only one female finisher of this race uh, before, because I look at the results. There were, however, 12 females that were signed up that year, and they were all very good runners. And many of them were way more experienced than me. There were ladies who've done like 200 miles before, we done like triple crown of 200s and, and other races. Many of them ran, you know, distance over 100 miles before. More, I haven't. Um, so like there were ladies who done like 200 Ks and, you know, 130 miles races and 120. So no, I never expected that I would win. I just, there were ladies also who did a lot of like through hiking. We through hiked like the whole Appalachian Trail and PCT. So I knew they would be amazing, uh, you know, with sleep deprivation and going for multiple, multiple multi-day efforts. So no, I never expected. Um, I was hoping to finish like be the last female <laughs> finisher, <laughs> but I never expected I would be the only one. That's, uh, that never, there was never a goal and I never envisioned it. There was a total surprise that day. That's awesome. That I love that. And it just was such an intense, amazing adventure for you. Um, and then to have an outcome like that is just icing on the cake, right? Yeah, that was, that was incredible. And like I said, I ran with some of the ladies who didn't finish. And I also feel I was very lucky. And like the stars aligned for me and things went right. Because I ran with one lady and she was incredible and she was a lap behind me and I was really hoping that she would finish. Like I really, really cheered for her and I hoped. Her name's Nicole and I really hoped she would do it. And I even was asking my friend Carissa who was running with me, like, do you know where Nicole is? If Nicole is still running and I asked people at aid station 
So she eventually, I think at mile 150 or 160, her leg just swelled and just gave up on her and she just couldn't go anymore. But she was, you know, trying really hard and, and she just, I just really hoped that she would get it because she was amazing and she was very resilient. And, and like, you know, that could have happened to me. There was nothing she could do. Like her body kind of stopped working. And that was afraid could happen to me too. That like all of a sudden my leg will lock up on me and there would be nothing I could do. It doesn't matter how tough I am. I would not be able to go with like, you know, completely swollen leg. Yeah, I know. There's so many things that can go on um, besides the mental. Like I think you can mentally tough through a lot, but mm-hmm. 70 hours, like you have to have some. Yeah, I had some physical luck. ability to do yeah. that. Yeah, and I, so, I think I was lucky too. I mean, there was a luck that played. It wasn't just like my talent and my grit. I was also lucky because I think Nicole was as gritty and as actually more talented than me. And she was strong mentally and she executed a great race. It's just her body didn't want to give her that that day. And that was heartbreaking, really. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Like there's so much, like as you say again in your blog, so much financially and time-wise and Mm -hmm. people helping you to put into these races. Like it's a huge commitment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like you said too, it's like weeks and weeks, like three weeks after now and you're just starting to feel recovered. Um, Mm -hmm. I want, we were, we're closing up on time pretty quick here, but I want to know you went into this race. I feel like for some soul searching, Mm -hmm. did you, now that you've kind of caught up on a bit of a sleep, do you feel like you found any of the answers you were looking for? Yeah, I feel like I got that new boost of energy. I mean, after I recovered. (laughs) (laughs) um, I got more confidence and I just more gratitude. I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. And it's just, um, you know, like I had some times before and during pandemic that I felt very like I don't belong. I felt lonely and I felt foreign and, and an outsider. And that race just sent so much love towards me and such a big feeling of belonging and having my tribe and having people who, you know, are like sisters to me, they would go and and make my goal theirs and they would do anything to help me. And uh, people reaching from, you know, all over really, the United States and beyond, it was humbling and overwhelming. And, you know, I, like I said, I got, I got some gifts from community. They were just really humbling. Um, so I felt like, I felt that sense of belonging that, well, I didn't really feel this winter. I felt lonely. I think we all felt lonely during pandemic too, to an extent, but like, you know, being raised in another country and living, you know, it's been three years since I saw my dad. I just felt, I felt alone. And, and after that race, I didn't, I felt that I have people who love me right here around me. And that was, that was amazing. And I felt during the race too, I felt that love from volunteers that wanted me to finish and help me. Uh, there was a lady, I remember it, and the aid station, she told me like with tears in her eyes that like what you're doing for women is just incredible and we're all cheering for you. Like, you know, it was kind of burden too because I still had two laps to run. Uh, 
but she said it was you know that she was very grateful for me representing other females in this race and like pushing for the finish so what I got from that race is really that I am very loved and that was wonderful wow that's so insightful and like so amazing to go on this solo journey for 70 hours and find community and and love and maybe that is the cool thing about trail running that nobody's really able to articulate either is that it just Mm -hmm. it does I guess the saying is fill your cup so to speak in that sense um well in your case maybe like fill the whole barrel (laughs) but overflowing I'm so impressed and it's amazing like hearing you speak about it um like it just was, you're so mentally tough. Um, and I think that's really inspiring and people will need to hear that. I know a lot, I actually have some friends that are going into 200 mile races and I think they'll benefit so huge from this, just from like breaking it down one step at a time and and how you got through this. And I'm really excited to see what you can do, um, in the future. I think I saw on Facebook that you've already done like a hill workout, which blows my mind, but I hope that you're feeling good and recovered. Um, and that we can continue the conversation about perimenopause just on podcasts and between friends and just make it so that nobody has to spiral down and wonder what's wrong with them and go on the old Google, because that seems to be the most dangerous thing you can do. Yes. So before we end here, so my question is, after your stomach settled down, after you run 200 miles, what is the meal that you're craving? Um, so... The, the thing there was, was very weird, and I talked about it in my writing. I felt like my mouth was cut. It had like oh. hundreds of little paper cuts all over my inside of my jaws and on my tongue. So it was really hard to eat. But um, when we were driving back, I was telling Carissa after eating all that A-station junk food, right? That's what we have there. For three days, I just wanted to eat a salad. I wanted to eat like a lot of spinach and greens and like something like fruit. And so she stopped when we were driving back and she got me something and I had a really hard time eating it because my mouth was um, was so destroyed. And I think that's, I was searching into it and I think uh, there was most likely like mixture of dehydration and the cut from salt, you know, and also mouth briefly. Uh, mouth breathing breathing for um, extended time. But it took me like over two hours to eat that salad. <laughs> but, oh, I bet. Yeah, but I was craving something green, like not processed, like not Coke and potato chips, just, um, just something that's um, that's fresh and, and juicy. And yeah, it's funny how your body tells you what it needs. Hey? Yeah, I just wanted I just wanted a salad because I just that's what I wanted. Usually, like I, I like, like, it's really hard to eat after in general. I think for many people, like I like smoothie yes. too. I feel like I can get the liquid calories in, so I want something like, not sweet, but um, but yeah, something fresh, something that hasn't been processed and. Yes. Yes. Totally. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. So I've uh, many other hundred milers are like, well, some people are like, yeah, I just want a pizza. And then other people are like, I just want a salad with like strawberries and nuts. Yeah, and strawberries, yeah. right? Peaches. Yeah. Things like juicy yeah, and natural yeah. and that haven't been like in the box, 
that's what I always want. I want something that it's totally like I want like a juicy peach, you know, or something like that. Yes. Oh, juicy peach. Grapes, or blueberries, <laughs> or like you know, something that hasn't been through factory and altered, something that's natural. Like that's what I usually crave after. So what is next for you then? Do you have any other big goals that you want to tackle? So amazingly, I got into Badwater this year. So that's what I'm doing next. I'm going to Dev Valley. So that's a big oh goal. It's, it's getting when old. is that race this year? Was it changed at all? No, it hasn't changed. It will be in July. So July. Amazing. 18th, I think. So yeah, that's. Um, I'm very excited. I'm overwhelmed with the level of logistics that you have to you know go through to to get there but i'm very excited i have actually two of my friends that came to illinois to help me finish they also on my crew so i think they will be amazing you know uh, they were just incredible running the last 50 miles with me so i feel very fortunate to, to have them on my crew too going to dev valley so well, I'm so excited to see how you do there. And we've had another guest, Lori, who's also just crazy tough. So I'm so excited for that race to see how both of you do. Um, I hope that you guys meet each other, actually, because I think you'll get a kick out of each other. I'll tell her to look out for you. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time on a Monday morning. Do you have, um, I know you're pretty, you have a lot of people requesting to be your friend on Facebook, but do you have anywhere that people can check out your blog or Instagram or Facebook? Um, that you don't mind people searching? So I don't really, I, I am on Instagram at mama to one. I said that um, account when my daughter was little <laughs> and never changed <laughs> my, my name. Um, so it's M-A-M-M-A number two O-N-E. So that's probably the easiest way to see what I'm up to. I, okay, well. I post on Facebook. Uh, I don't really, I should I always think about like setting some place where I, I like to write and I put all my writing together. It's what and you're a great writer tells. too. Oh, thank you. My husband always tells me to like put it out there, the things I wrote. Sometimes I write it and I never even put it out anywhere. So so I think I will set something up and, and put my writing out there at some point. Yeah, please do. Because your blog is, is amazing and captivating. And for like, I mean, sometimes race recaps can be dull, but yours was just had me right in there. So well, thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and have a fabulous week and the best of luck at Badwater. Thank you so much.